0: Today we're looking at the candle of Bethlehem, the candle of preparation. We're walking through the Advent wreath, so we have two candles up today. Last week we looked at that whole thing of prophecy, and we're going to look at another prophecy today from Micah chapter 5. And we're going to look at this Bethlehem candle, this, this place. And I have a question before we get started. How many of you are from a small town? By that I mean under a thousand. Let me see those hands real high. Okay, Lynn, where are you from? Decatur. Decatur. Uh, what, what's, what, other, other people, other towns? Under a thousand. Carrollton, Missouri. Carrollton, Missouri. Lenore, West Virginia. Lenore, West Virginia. Kentucky. Kentucky. Anyplace else, yes? Okay, now the question is, how many people in your town? You know? Five hundred Five hundred. Anybody got less than five like hundred? All the way all the way in the back. What do you I grew up in town called Zivs in the end and grew up we had two hundred if we were lucky. Two hundred <laughs> people. Anybody got smaller than two hundred? How about a farm boy who lived on a farm? Five of us. Five of you. <laughs> 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 One cow. <laughs> So that was six. I have no idea, I don't know anything about little towns. I mean, I am from New York City. I was born in New York City and lived in Chicago. Um, This little town thing is just, it's beyond my understanding, you know what I mean? Um, There's more people on the subway train in New York City than some of your towns, I get it. But Chris, could you put up, I have um, top 10, you know you're from a small town, top 10 list. You know you're from a small town when? The city limits are are on both sides of the same post. (laughs) Number two, number nine, I mean, number nine, number nine. Um, You call the wrong number and they supply you with the correct one. (laughs) Number eight, anyone you want can be found either at the Dairy Queen or at the feed store. (laughs) Just ask Kyle, he works at Dairy Queen over there, I'll tell you. Number seven, you can name everyone you graduated with. All six of them, right? (laughs) Number six, there is no point in high school reunion because everyone knows what everyone else is doing anyway. Number five, running from the cops consists of hiding in the cornfield. (laughs) Number four, you don't signal turns because everyone knows where you are going anyway. Number three, third street is the edge of your town. <laughs> number two, the local phone book only has one yellow page. And the number one reason you know you're from a small town is a night on the town only takes 11 minutes. <laughs> I'm from a big city. I'm not from a small town. But once I was um, I, I was preaching in Muscatine, Iowa, just outside of Muscatine, Iowa, in a small town. And Belinda and I were driving there with our kids, and we had get, gotten some directions. This was pre-GPS and MapQuest. It was, you know, they, they gave you some directions, and we started driving out there, and we could not find the farm that we're supposed to stay at for, during this conference. And we're driving back and forth and back and forth, and I, 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 was, I, was, I was totally lost. But I had a tip, I had a tip. If you get lost in a small country town, the place to go is the feed store. So I drove to the feed store and I went in the back of my car and I used to I used to drive around with Farm Bureau and a John Deere hat. So I, I put on my Farm Bureau hat. <laughs> so they thought I was a government somebody, you know, from the Farm Bureau. So I go in the feed store and I said, I'm, we're obviously lost. And we're trying to find Norton's farm and and so they said, "You just go down the road about a quarter mile, turn left on on gravel road, and, and 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 it just will be the house on the right." And so we drove back and forth and back and forth, and we could not find um, the street. And then, and then I had a thought. I said, "Maybe when they said turn left on gravel road, they were describing the road." Because I was looking for a sign that said, Gravel Road. Because I had passed, I had passed this this dirt road about 18 times. So uh, so I said, maybe, maybe when they meant Gravel Road, it wasn't, I'm looking for the street sign that says Gravel Road. Uh, obviously, there was no sign. But then, then when I turned down that dirt road that they had described, I, I came up to Norton's Farm. I am not from... <laughs> A small town. <laughs> I confess, I'm from a big city. But Bethlehem, Bethlehem was a small town. I want you to get what it says in this text. In Micah chapter 5, verse 2. He says, you, O Bethlehem, Ephrath, are only a small village among the people of Judah. Yet a ruler of Israel will come from you, one whose origins are from the distant past. I want you to get the deepness of this prophecy. The accuracy of this prophecy was made some 700 years before the birth of Christ. It would be like predicting the birth of our president 1961 the actual place of his birth in 1261 i want you to get the get 700 years before it happened now you can choose whether it's hawaii or kenya you know i i i know what's out there but to predict the actual location the actual location of one's birth 700 years before it happens is an awesome task. And it was a known fact that Messiah would come from Bethlehem. Now, let's talk about this place, this small town. Bethlehem was in, a, in the hill country of Judah. Really, I should have Joel the Psalm tell us, you know, he's been to Bethlehem, I haven't. I have little pictures. It was also called Ephrath. It was called Bethlehem, Bethlehem Ephrath. It was the city of David. David was born in Bethlehem. It was approximately five miles southwest of Jerusalem, just off the major road. So if you were going to Jerusalem, you'd go five miles southwest and you'd, you'd come up to this little place. During the time of Jesus, Bethlehem had a population of between, they predict scholars say, between 300 and 1,000 people. Everybody knew, everybody in Bethlehem. And and I want you to get the fact that how small it is, because when we always say there was no room, it was easy to fill up a little town like Bethlehem. It would be easy. If people had to go there to pay their taxes, the town would have gotten crowded very rapidly. I want you to get the idea of a a town of between 300 and 1,000. Snyder High School and the last census says it has 2,039 people in it, students, in Snyder. There are more people in Snyder High School than that were in Bethlehem during the time of Christ. We're talking about a little town, a little place. Bethlehem was so small and so insignificant it really did match up on the radar of those around during time. And I want you to think about something. What are small things that just don't pop up on our radar? Things that happen around us and and, and places. When I was a missionary, I used to get, I was a missionary for seven years, church planning missionary and And I used to raise my support. Most of my support as an urban guy came from rural areas. Rural areas. And and I have driven the combine, and I have detasseled corn um, because I'm a city guy, and I just want to know how it works. You know what I mean? I'm just trying to figure this out. I've milked cows. I have fed hogs. I don't like chickens that much. They stink. (laughs) You know what I mean? I'll pass on that. I eat them. Oh, yeah. Kill and eat. That's my favorite Bible passage. (laughs) But I want you you to get how you could pass through a small town. Silver City, Iowa. I've been there. 430 people. I don't remember anything about that place. I was there. I have no recollection. (laughs) I was there. I looked at my calendar. I've been to Silver City. But I have no recollection of what happens there or what was going on there. I was just passing through. And Bethlehem was one of those places. Later on, in the story of Christmas, we hear of these wise men who come from the east and pop into the scene in Bethlehem. They pop up in Jerusalem and they ask the question, Where is he? that is born the king of the Jews, for we have seen his star in the east and have come to worship him. And they get the chief priests and the scribes together, and guess what they say? Bethlehem! Now the text says earlier before that that Jesus had already been born in Bethlehem, so the, the Christmas scene of the wise men coming to, to the, the birth class, that's probably not right. Jesus may have been around two years old by that time, yeah, but, 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 but the wise men come and they're looking for him. And, they, and they, they check the scriptures and they search the scriptures and they come up with the conclusion that he had to be born in Bethlehem. But the, the high priest, the scribes, and Herod do not go to see the baby. Now, one of my favorite things about the Christmas story is, 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 is people who get it and people who don't. Because, you know, that's the world in which we live in today. There's people who get it and people who don't. You know, I have a a Bob saying, you know, I mean, if common sense was common, everybody would have it. (laughs) And there are some people who just, I mean, the evidence is before them. The facts are there. But they don't get it. That's why I believe in the work and the power of the Holy Spirit that brings hearts to Christ. Because until the Holy Spirit quickens your reality, your mind, to see the things of God, you don't get it. Okay? Let's be honest. We've heard the story of Maurice. I'm sure he's heard about Jesus stuff before. He didn't get it. Many of you have stories of the same thing. You've heard it before. You had a mom, a dad, a Sunday school teacher, a church service, preaching, teaching, radio programs, music. You've heard it, but you didn't get it. Then one day, the Spirit of God, like emergency room pads, clear and zap, and you become alive to the reality of what God is doing. And I tell you that so you don't get discouraged. There are people that you are going to interact with during these holiday seasons that don't get it. And you get stressed out and you get discouraged by the fact that th- the reality around them is, is, is about the birth of Christ and they just don't get it. Well, you know what? Pray that the Holy Spirit break through their reality and when the Holy Spirit makes them alive to the reality of the things of God, they will get it. Right now, they're not getting it. And let's be honest. Most of us, we weren't getting it for a while too. But God, out of his mercy and his love, Turn the light on in our hearts. And we beheld the glory. The glory as of the only begotten from the Father. That's full of grace and truth. Hey, I grew up in the church. I grew up in the church. And I didn't get it. <laughs> I didn't get it. I, you know, I grew up Christian home. Mom and dad, loved the Lord, didn't get it. And I read the scriptures and heard the scriptures and we had devotions and we had quiet time. and oh, I didn't get it. Part of the reason why I didn't get it, I was dead. Dead in my trespasses and sin. Dead people don't get a lot of things. You know what I mean? They don't get a lot of things. They have to be resurrected. Be made alive. And so the wise men come. The Sadducees, the high priests and the scribes hear this message, but they don't get it. And and I've always wondered, why didn't they get it? Most scholars believe that most of the high priests were Sadducees. And what do we know about Sadducees in the scriptures? They didn't believe in the resurrection. They only held to the first five books of of the Old Testament. They didn't believe in angel visitations. They were appointed basically by the Roman government at the time of Christ. They were the ruling and the high class of this society. Most of the scribes, on the other hand, were probably Pharisees. And believe it or not, we talk bad about the Pharisees today, but they were the good guys. They were the ones that wanted to stand for orthodoxy, a commitment to the word, to living out the word. The problem is their interpretation of it led to a whole bunch of legalism. And you know what legalism does? It just creates ways to break the legalism. <laughs> Exceptions. And many of us know all about that because we grew up in a time and a day when we had all kinds of rules about how long your hair should be, about women wearing makeup and jewelry and the kind of music you should listen to and... Um, Stuff and stuff and stuff. I grew up in that background. We'd go to camp and our whole time would be spent on how to break the rules. <laughs> it's like my, my grandkids. They come to my house and, 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 and we give them a rule. Don't leave the yard. Don't, don't go past this point. And you know where they spend their whole time while they're out in the yard? Their toes right up against the line. As close to it as possible. That's how we are with legalism. We get as close as we can. Problem is Satan's there to kind of push you over the edge. So the Sadducees did not believe that miraculous things could happen in the way that they saw it. The Pharisees were consumed with the legalism that they were given of the day. And because of that Consumption. One on the side of the, the supernatural can't possibly be happening right now. And the other that this all this rules and regulations, they miss the reality that Messiah had come. We like to talk bad about those guys in the past, but we'll like them. Come on, let's get real. Black Friday sales and Christmas shopping and parties and dinners and family members barging in from out of town. Grandkids running around screaming and hollering and preparations that have to be made. We miss it too. We can be overwhelmed and consumed with the preparations that are related to the Christmas house and totally miss... That to us, a Savior has been born, who is Christ the Lord. And I like Christmas. Everyone knows that it's the most wonderful time of the year. But I have to always take a step back, even for myself, to say, you know what? Let me not get so wrapped up in this that I don't forget what it's really about. It's really about the fact that God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the world came down to us to save us. The Lord, the creator of the universe, in a barn to redeem us. I wouldn't do it. Okay? If I was the Lord, I wouldn't do it. You'd be in trouble, folks. Because <laughs> I wouldn't do it. But God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son to come to earth that if we would believe in him, we could have life that is eternal, abundant, and free. The wise men come and ask, and they say, Bethlehem, But the high priest don't go, the scribes don't go, and Herod doesn't go. They didn't get it. Maybe they expected Messiah in a bigger place. Okay? Bethlehem was too insignificant. Maybe they thought that the Magi, the wise men, were just mistaken. They had bad information. Maybe it was just too much work. You know what I mean? Too much work. Pack up all your stuff and go to Bethlehem. There's not a good restaurant in Bethlehem. There's not good in space in Bethlehem. I'm an aristocrat. Am I going to drive all the way to Bethlehem? Go to Bethlehem, and where am I going to stay? Where am I going to eat? Small town people. Everybody knows everybody. <laughs> I'm going to be an outsider. Oh, trust me. When I was driving around the Midwest and I'd walk into a town, I'd be a, uh, I'd be an outsider. I literally walked into a restaurant in Scanty Atlas, New York. It's about this big. Scanty Another, You know Scanty I walked into a roadside diner. There was country music playing. And I walked in and was eh, stop. Boy, you in the wrong place. (laughs) I got the message real quick. I said, I'll have a cup of coffee and get out of here. Bethlehem was too small, but I want to give you an idea of something here. I believe there is a kingdom principle that I call the littleness of the kingdom. I think the kingdom of God is really about little things. I want you, I want you, let's go back to Bethlehem. Okay. Let's go back when it really got on the map. Israel has a king, right? He is the best and the brightest, tallest, handsomest, most likely to succeed person in the name of Saul. He is made king. And he turns out to be a dud. Okay? Okay? Just, just, he, he, he is most likely to succeed and within a short period of time he turns out to be a dud so much that God says, time out, I'm done with him. I'd have to get me a king that's after my own heart. So he takes Samuel and he says, Samuel, I want you to go to Bethlehem and I want you to go to the house of Jesse and I want you to anoint me a king. Now, Jesse has all these sons who are also the brightest, the smartest and he's afraid. them and he says, time out, these are not the guys. I'm looking. And to the point where he's done. And so everybody's sitting around says, you got any more sons? And what does Jesse say? Yeah, I got this one guy, he's kind of odd. You know, he's a musician. You know what I mean? He hangs out with sheep. You know what I mean? He's just not Ready for prime time. He's, he's the runt. He's, he's insignificant. He, he is not the guy that was most likely to succeed. He's a shepherd. He sleeps out in the fields. Shepherd work was dump work for the lowest slaves and work. He's a shepherd. And what does God say? Bring that one to me. You look on the outward appearance. God is looking on something totally different. And it's in Bethlehem that, that Samuel finds this little runt kid, David, and brings him, and anoints him as king. And for the first time, Bethlehem gets on the map. Because now they have a king that's after the heart of God. He's a God-man king. And from that point on, you start seeing David, he starts to excel. Because God was with him. And he was with God. Started off with insignificant. David? I could hear the people in the town say, you know who God anointed king? Who? David? Like who? You mean that guy that's in the field? The musician guy that's always playing the harp and writing all those poems and songs? You know, what kind of king is that? God goes to the littlest place, to the littlest family, and picks up the littlest kid and makes him king. That is a kingdom principle. Jesus said in Matthew, he gives a parable and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in the field. It is the smallest of all seeds but it comes the largest garden plants. It grows into a tree and birds come and make their nest in it. I believe humble beginnings are a kingdom principle. If you want to know where God is going, look at humble beginnings. He's looking for the smallest and most insignificant. He's looking for the runt He's looking for the person that's not on anybody's radar. He wants to take that smallest, most insignificant thing, and he he is going to invest himself into it, and he is going to cause it to grow. He is going to cause littleness to grow. And when it grows, it grows so big that it has an influence with birds. Most scholars say that that bird's references to gent, it's about gentiles, it's about outsiders, it's about unbelievers, it's about that, that when it grows, it grows so big that it has influence with those outside. There are some who would think that the church needs to get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. I personally believe in church growth. I believe in church growth. I think growth is a natural process of getting mature. You get mature, you grow. But I think what God wants us to cause to grow is little stuff. If you want to take the principle of Bethlehem and make it real, you need to understand that no matter how small, how insignificant, or how problematic your origins are, I don't know where you're from, but I know some of you have come from some hard places. When you look at it as just a small place, you look at your life. You say, "I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't grow up in church. I didn't. I didn't grow up with a religious or a faith background. I didn't grow up with people encouraging me to walk in my Lord." My 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 background, my history is small and insignificant. And I would say you're the exact person that God wants to invest His power and His strength into. It is not where you're from that's important to God. It's where you are going. You're saying I'm from Bethlehem. I got no mom. I got no dad. I've been in prison. I've done some bad stuff. You know what God says? Plant it. <laughs> I'll cause it to grow. I will cause it to grow. We need to realize that little acts of kindness, little acts of kindness and encouragement, no matter how small, are the kingdom business. I'm sure when some of you sent the card to Maurice when he was in prison, 44 cents and a card, a couple of words, you don't know how much that meant to him to get a mail while he was in prison. When I was in New York as a pastor, there was a period in my ministry where the church blew up. Yeah, I always like to tell the good stories, right? I'll give you the bad story. Church was about to split. Spanish congregation, English congregation, Spanish congregation was leaving. People were fighting and arguing. And man, I never forget I told Belinda, I'm done. I am done with this church. I started working on my resume. I said, I could find me a little country church in Mississippi, town of 100 people, preach every Sunday and be happy. I was done with New York City. (laughs) And it was a ring of the doorbell. And we came and answered the door. And at the door was, we we had special people in our church. And this was one of the special people. She She was there. And she gave us a pound of coffee and two coffee mugs. And on the coffee mugs it said, Things will get better. And Belinda and I took that pound of coffee and put it in the machine and drank out of our things will get better coffee mugs. And I'm telling you, somehow in a supernatural way, things seem better. And she's in glory right now, and she's one of my heroes. Because I believe that simple act of kindness from a broken person on everyone else's grid didn't look like much, it wasn't that important, it wasn't that significant. It was extremely significant for me to stay in the ministry at that time and at that place. And you know, things got really better after that. Oh, things got better. Folks started getting saved, and folks started coming, and and, 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 and things started happening, and, and I was amazed at the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But it had not been for that cup of coffee from that broken saint. That simple, small act of kindness kept me in the ministry. And I want to let you know that as we engage this lost world of broken people, It's not our Christmas Eve service and our happy birthday Jesus party and the white elephant gift stuff and all the programming that we do that's going to win people to Christ. It's going to be simple acts of kindness in the name of Jesus to people and then with a boldness to share that I do this for you because I have a personal relationship with Jesus. We need to engage the lost world with simple acts of kindness. I drive around with an air pump in my car and a needle for basketballs. Because I don't know how many times I have seen people with flat tires at the gas station and they don't have the dollar to put in the machine and they need to put air in their tires. I said, keep your money. And people say, "Why did you stop? Why did you help me?" I say, "I do this in the name of Jesus. I have a relationship with him, and all I want you to do is to listen to what he going to have to say for you. Simple acts of kindness in the name of Jesus. When we plant those simple acts. In what we consider insignificant in little places, hearts are changed. God causes it to grow. For many years, right out of high school, I worked at a Christian camp. And um, it was a fresh air fun camp in New York City. It was inner city kids, bad kids. Bad kids, just bad you know what I mean? They had never been out in the woods. They had never done camp before. And we'd take them up in the mountains and camp. And they were bad. I mean, they were just shh. before metal detectors. We had to go through their bags and take out their knives and their drugs. And all, you know what I mean? They, these were bad kids. And most of the time when I worked with them, I thought I was just control. You know what I mean? It wasn't, it wasn't about sharing the gospel. Man, most of the time, I can't believe how much we spent on just dis, discipline. And I felt, I felt like it was such a waste of, uh, you know what I mean, the whole summer and or Most of the time I'm just, I, I had this whistle and I would be blowing this whistle all the time. When I got home from for camp, I would throw that whistle away. If I never hear another whistle in my life, I'll be glad. Stop, be- Stop beating on that kid. Come over here. Do this. Do that. The whole summer. There it is. There that. Time to eat. Time. To- Go to bed. Wake up. You know what I mean? It's, it's all the whole mess. <laughs> Welcome to the ministry. <laughs> Yelling at kids the whole time. And i never forget I had a kid. I bumped into a kid at a roller skating rink. Mr. Bob, Mr. Bob, you remember me? I said, sure enough, I remember you. (laughs) Oh, yeah. I know. I know. First of all, he was one of these kids that was five years old. He was like six feet, 200 pounds. You know what I mean? Just huge kid, huge kid. And he knew it. He bullied everybody. So now when I meet him, he's like seven feet tall, 400 pounds. Huge guy. Bob, Bob, you remember me? Yeah, I remember you. He said, you know, um, I want to thank you. What you taught me about Jesus when you were at camp. When you said this and that. And I'm telling you right now. I can't remember a thing I said to that kid. I mean, that's like ancient history in the memory banks of my mind. I can't remember one devotional, one prayer, one skit, one game. I don't remember any of it. It is God. It is insignificant. It is little in my mind. But in his heart, it was the biggest thing we had ever done that caused faith in him. Brothers and sisters, there is a world outside these doors that does not have a personal, conscious relationship with Jesus. And we can yell and scream about all of our policies and programs and positions. What they need to see is they need to see the love of Jesus Christ demonstrated by God's People with mercy and grace in the name of Jesus. That gives us credibility and an openness to share the gospel. And so for this Christmas season, remember Bethlehem. Remember that you can do little acts that raises up a king. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you remember us. That you are mighty in our lives to save us and to deliver us. That you are not far off, not at all, to those that would put their faith in you. Give us a heart to serve and especially to help those through simple acts acts of kindness. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen.